in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Dustin Melbarnes, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights to the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host from deep in the heart of Texas, Mr. Dustin Melbardis. How you doing, sir? Oh, oh, oh. Have you been a good boy this year, Russell? Pretty good. Most of the time. Depending who you ask. Why? Who did you ask? Well, hold on. Let's get all the facts straight here. I am excited, Dustin, for the bringing in some Christmas spirit. We brought Meredith Robson. How are you doing, Meredith? I'm good. I'm really, really happy to be here for the Christmas podcast. Yeah. That's right. It's hard to find people with enough Christmas spirit. A lot of my friends mm-hmm. like dark horror movies and uh, dystopian, futuristic, heavy-duty things, and, and nobody makes room in their heart for a little bit of Christmas cheer. So uh, we got the Christmas yep. barometer going up high. Yep. Well, and if I remember right, high. Meredith brought the kung fu energy last time. Yes. She did. Yes. And she's brought the 40s noir action for Maltese mm-hmm. Falcon. She hits all of those notes because she likes... All movies. That's true. I, what I really would like is a kung fu Christmas comedy. That would be wonderful. Dustin, this sounds like your thing, it man. It really does. This needs to go into production now and green light this right now. Yes, Get on that Kickstarter. Would be absolutely wonderful. <laughs> How would Santa need kung fu to save his Christmas? We do have something kind of in the works oh. right now. It's not called Violent Night. It might be. It's it's the guy who plays the the, the sheriff in Stranger Things. He's he's gotten very popular right now. He's playing a Santa who is like whipping up on some terrorists i believe hmm. oh. it came out this week it's it's gonna be a big deal that might be exactly what we're looking for although i think it's more like over the top like cartoonish explosions fighting it's not mm-hmm. going to be proper kung fu i don't believe yeah uh, i think it's going to be like what uh bill murray wanted to make in the beginning of scrooge he wanted to make a very violent christmas special for network television, yes. <laughs> oh, you mean in the context of the movie yes. of what that movie, should be. Yeah. The movie within the movie. And yeah. we need the Rockettes. And we, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So today, though, we are doing a movie full of Christmas spirit. And it's not necessarily what's your favorite or best. What is a movie that makes you feel all warm and fuzzy and nice at Christmas time, Meredith? Rudolph. That's a classic. It yeah. is. It's Rankin and Bass, and it's very magical, and it's never really... It's never really lost its charm. It still gets played all the time. People love it. Yeah. And Dustin, how about you? I was actually thinking about last year, and I was looking at uh, A Muppet Christmas Carol. But I realized with this ends with Scrooge, really, it's kind of dark, the whole movie. It's not until the end that you get any warm and fuzziness. And so mm-hmm. I would, I'm would, i going to go with Elf. I did not think I would like that movie. It took me three watches to finally mm-hmm. get on board. But that one through and through is is a, a great warm and fuzzy one. It's a good one. And I did what you almost did. And I went back to our last year's one that we did, Muppet Christmas Carol. It gives me all the good feels of the Christmas story, but it does it with the Muppets. Yes. So, what's the last movie you saw, though, Meredith? Uh, the last movie I saw was Knives Out, which is funny because it's a it's a murder mystery. But there's something about it that's very 
cozy and makes you feel very calm and happy. Wow. Yeah. I can't wait for the sequel Forks Out and Spoons Out will be the complete trilogy. I think the there trilogy. is a sequel coming. I think so. But there's something about it taking place in a big dark house. And there is. It just makes you feel very warm and fuzzy. Well, it's also the, when performances are that great, you feel good. Yep. When you see something good, you feel mm-hmm. good. And they did do a sequel. They should have gone your way, Russell, with Forks Out or Sporks Out, whatever you were saying. It's called Glass Onion. Uh, and it had a very limited release, only one week in theaters, but it's now on Netflix. Oh, must that's see. very and interesting. It, it does yeah. have Daniel Craig reprising the detective. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And I hope the Blue Raja from Mystery Men's in there, too, with, <laughs> with uh, forks and spoons. And, of uh, course, I do not wish that. <laughs> <laughs> Dustin was hard on Mystery Men. It was hard. You can, you can strike that part from the record because it was all rolling along well there. Dustin, what's the last movie you saw? Well, I, I wish I could give it a good review, but I, I just watched a movie with Tim Roth called Sundown about a gentleman who's on vacation with his sister and his niece and nephew. And they get some bad news uh, back home. And the sister and niece and nephew have to go back. They're all going to go back, but Tim Roth's character forgets his passport. So he's alone in this beautiful sunny paradise without the baggage of family. And uh, he lets go of everything. And so while you might think, oh, that's, this is kind of a fun setup for a romp, it isn't. It's a, uh, it's a descent. And so oh. if you're looking for a sundowner, check out Sundown with mm-hmm. Tim Roth. I did a movie uh, from 1985, The Black Cauldron with Grant, man. Oh, yeah. I've seen that, but it's been a long time ago. It's, it's Disney, but it's, it's a darker Disney mm-hmm. movie. It's got a lot of monsters and... It does not feel like a Disney movie at all, actually. So it's heavier and darker than most Disney movies. It's not it's not rated as well, but I had a lot of fun with it, and so did Grant. So that made me have a good time with it. Yeah, so. I think he likes monsters and stuff. So. He did. I know, like the main bad dude's like a, got like the skeleton with like deer antlers oh, and like coming out of his heads. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was a hit. So, but today's movie is what Dustin? The Shop Around the Corner from nineteen forty. 1940. I know we're going back there. Mm -hmm. Stars the incomparable Jimmy Stewart, Margaret Sullivan, and Frank Morgan. I don't have box office data to know where this fell in the box office. It was profitable, but the number one movie from 1940 was Pinocchio. So, and that's no lie. Mm -hmm. Uh, IMDb gives The Shop Around the Corner an 8.0, but the critics of Rotten Tomatoes give this 100. 100% fresh. Unbelievable. An audience score, also pretty high up there, 91% fresh. Yeah. You don't hear that very often. And the AFI list of passions, a countdown we don't get to as often, lists this one at the number 28 on the best romance movies of all time. High praise here. Justin, sorry, Meredith, had you seen this one before? I had seen it before, and it was, you know... Over the years, around Christmas, you would see bits and pieces of it, you know, during the holidays. Um, so I hadn't seen it all the way through in one go in a while. Um, but yeah, I had seen it before and was aware of it in various parts. So this is an older movie. Did it? How did it strike you? Like, did you just fall into it and it just you got into it, or was there a growing to like it? Since I was first exposed to it as a kid, you know, in bits and pieces, I always liked it, but I think I understand it a lot more now. So I actually found it easier to get into now than when I was a kid. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Dustin, how about you? Had you seen The Shop Around the Corner? 
never even heard of it. Uh, and I didn't even know that it would be in any way related to Christmas. Uh, but I was lucky to be able to hit a couple of buttons and charge two ninety nine to my credit card and see, without any advertisements, without any posters, just jump right into it. First time seeing it, no expectations. Uh, it's the best way to watch a movie. Wow, so you went in really cold other than like, I hear Jimmy mm-hmm. Stewart's in this movie then. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't even know he was in it, nor did I know that The oh. Wizard of Oz was in it. Um, I, I, I didn't want to learn anything. And, and I also think it's it's fun to like disassociate his role, his character from other roles of his. In fact, an even more famous one around Christmas time. Like it, you, yeah. you don't have to do that. And I th- maybe we'll talk about it later, but I think the movie helps us do that with its setting. So uh, it was really a brand new story. And I think mm-hmm. that's rare. Oh, yeah. And I was new to this one as well. We got handed the short list and this one, I, I just simply did Christmas classic with Jimmy Stewart. And, yeah, you know, it a, sounds a cl- wonderful. A close call with suicide <laughs> is involved. That's so, good. I mean, it's, I mean, and then wait, wait, hold up. It's not, it's not, it's a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so it, it has all of those same things, but uh, it is also really fun. And I found like this was a war movie. It feels good. I was it surprised really this does. didn't pop up on the feels good, like the inspirational mm-hmm. AFI list. I expected it to pop up on there too, but for an old movie, I actually had kind of what Dustin felt like. It felt refreshing, which is a strange thing to say about a and 1940 it movie. It doesn't move slow at all. It's got kind of a good, everything keeps rolling along kind of a pace to it. It doesn't change scenes a lot. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't move a lot. And it's very dialogue driven. So mm-hmm. but if you like theater, yeah, because like it's written to be a play. It plays like a play, and I like plays and I like theater, yeah. so I, that's not mm-hmm. much of a stretch for me. So, It might introduce a bias for me, is that if it feels like that for me, it's probably going to fall on the positive side of the scale easier. Okay, so yeah, so, so you're a fan of the, the stage plays as well then? You remember from our uh, countdown last year, Carnage, and I had such, a, such things to say about that, which can all happen in one room, and it's meant for, as a four-person play. So those kind of things can really, really work. Yes, but there will be spoilers as we talk about it, and we don't want to spoil this one. So for those of you who haven't seen it, we encourage you to see it. It is worth it. 100% of the critics will agree with me. We will be back after these messages. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. All right, we're back. And Dustin, for those who haven't seen The Shop Around the Corner since 1940, do you want to refresh people's memories? We take you to beautiful Budapest outside of Matushik's fine leather goods store. Our employees, Kralik, Birovich, Varash, Flora, Ilona, and Pepe, Wait outside for Hugo Matushek to open the door and start a new day at work. 
Krolik tells Purovich that he's excited about the recent correspondence he has been mailing to a woman whom he had met through the newspaper personals, and he begins fantasizing about someday meeting her. In walks Clara Novak, who needs employment. After showing off her deft salesmanship in front of the boss, she is hired. Over time, we learn that Matushik's demeanor has changed as he has learned from an anonymous letter that his wife is having a secret rendezvous with an employee of his, who he incorrectly presumes is his longest-tenured employee, Krolik. During this time, though he maintains his friendship with Pirovich, tensions begin to rise between Krolik and Clara, who have never gotten along. We learn that Clara is also involved with a man through correspondence. Both Krolik and Clara have a date on the same night at 8.30 at a local cafe, but they are asked to stay late at the shop to change some window dressing. During this time, Krolik finally confronts Matushik about his attitude downturn, which leads to his firing due to his boss's suspicions about who must be meeting his wife. Matushik ends up letting all the store members leave on time anyway in the aftermath of the firing, and during this time learns that it is actually Vadash who is the guilty party, not Krolik. Clara goes to the cafe and waits for her date, while Pirovich talks Krolik into going to his, even after a bad day. Pirovich learns that it is Clara who is waiting for him, and Krolik finally gets wise that he has been falling for his co-worker. He attempts to talk Clara inside, but he is rebuffed. Peppy gets back from a late delivery just in time to stop a forlorn Matushik from killing himself, which leads to a reconciliation between him and Krolik and a new promotion. The following day, Clara misses work due to being psychologically lovesick, while Krolik antagonizes then fires Vadash for his two-timing nature. Aware of his secret admirer's identity, we watch along as he playfully withholds this knowledge from Clara, leading to a slow burn of will-they-won't-they they through a booming Christmas Eve sale at the shop, after which Matushik delivers Christmas bonuses to everyone and Krolik reveals his non-bowed legs and love for Clara, who returns his affection in a loving embrace. Ah, feeling all fuzzy now. Oh, yes. Awe is right, Russell. This was an awe-inducing movie. So I want to start off, this is a workplace mm -hmm. romance, and I did a quick search. I didn't come up with anything right away. Meredith, you're, you're also quite versed in some older films. This is the earliest workplace romance that I can think of. I mean, maybe there's one before it, but I mean, it seems um, to me like this is an early I, format of it. I think so. I actually can't think of any, any right off the bat that are that old. Probably wrong about that. There's got to be one or two out there, but I think this was pretty unique, especially considering that it started out as a play, so it was older than the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And as a fan of the TV show, The Office, I like, I, I've come to like this interplay of people, their lives, work, all coming together in this mm -hmm. intersection. We certainly covered that with broadcast news earlier this yeah. year as well. And I think it's just an interesting dynamic to enter in because these people are so evidently in each other's lives so presently. That's an interesting stage for, oh, yeah. for a romance and for, for calamity to happen and for interesting things to go down. Then that's something that theater can do, too, is a focus on the minutiae and the interactions with the people you're around the most. It might not sound as if the decisions of a buyer for a department store and going through the sales pitches of this lovely leather handbag, that might not sound interesting to a producer. But when you have working class people that have worked jobs like this, 
there's something really satisfying about watching a big movie star or just anybody on screen going through the day-to-day stuff that Mm -hmm. we've all gone through. Gosh, what does Jimmy Stewart say to uh, Clara? It's like, oh God, you you let me go through the whole speech, didn't you? Like, there's, there's some stuff there that's reminiscent of young workers or even people that have been in that career for a long time. Uh, so I, I think it's really refreshing. You, you mentioned The Office. The Office had a thousand hours to get into those. Here we only mm-hmm. had an hour 40. So uh, it, it still was compelling enough. Yeah. And it's funny. It reminds me a little bit, actually, of the 40-year-old version with those guys. What do they work at? Best Buy or something? I do like those it's, guys, it's too. It's yeah. Best Buy yeah. style yeah. store. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, she has... I would assume incredible references. She's worked at the nicest stores in town. Why she's hard on her luck is something that she's a bit bashful about. It's it's something that's hard to bring up not having a job. It makes you, you have to realize how lucky you are to have a job. I know it sounds like capitalist jargon, but like having <laughs> employment is good. <laughs> and so yeah, she was well, ashamed to really not have it right away. And she alluded to maybe something happened at her other job, like the the, what's what's his right. name? Sons and brothers, or brothers and sons? <laughs> the brothers the, weren't uh, bad. Or, or, it, sorry, the sons weren't bad, but the brothers, oh my! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So she alluded to uh, something that wasn't quite to her satisfaction. <laughs> yes, she she did describe a Me yeah. Too kind of moment for 1940. Yeah. Of uh, when you go to the back room, you you talk about actually we really do want to put bags on the shelf. Bags on the shelf. That's right. <laughs> so um, that's how uh, I describe a gentleman. Yes. Well, I mean, she was uh, definitely. Buttering him up at that point to yeah. get to get to that get doesn't somewhere. mean it wasn't true. But you're right; it doesn't yeah. mean it wasn't true. So, and so one of the things I love about a workplace situation, as Justin said, you are a confined audience. Other characters start to become very interesting, other than just Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, and yeah, yeah Mar- and Margaret Sullivan, and the other characters matter. I like watching Pepe. I like watching Hugo. I think uh, uh, Ferenc Vadas is this. He's just so slimy. He's, mm-hmm. he's designed to hate. Like, yeah. I mean, he gets into these little petty arguments. He's just looking to get into an argument and just the way and he he's dresses. He's very self-absorbed. Yes, he is. Yeah. And, and so, other people in the workplace know this. And they, they either have to make a decision to give him the time of day. Do you want to hear a joke? No, Vadash. No. <laughs> no, we don't. Um, and for a second there, I'm thinking, are they portraying Jimmy Stewart's character as having no sense of humor? Or are they just really making you lean into, oh, wow, this guy is... Everyone knows that guy at work, right? Where you okay, again, like, you, where you, you really don't want to have that interaction with him. And we do learn that his, uh, we'll say, social villainy goes even further. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah, mm-hmm. he's he's the only one in that shop that seems to not fit in with the, the general uh, positive vibe of the store. Is that he, He's caustic. He's irritating to be around. He dresses differently. And then you see him... With a lot of money, you learn about later on that he's the one that is, you know, cavorting with Matushik's wife. So, like, mm-hmm. they do they do nothing to try to redeem him. He's not a redeemable guy. No, but I mean, that's what yeah. makes it an interesting workplace. Yes. I mean, you have to have, uh, you know, we like The Office because Stanley's this grumbly, like, curmudgeon. Like, I mean, you have to have somebody to play off of to cause mm-hmm. interesting. He causes conflict. I think this guy is worse, though. Oh, yeah. Stanley's a lovable grump. Yeah. This yeah. guy's just, you know, this isn't like Andy Bernard, mm-hmm. who's like uh, dresses like, you know, and thinks of himself as. Yeah, you're right. 
he's it, late. Se- he's late season Andy Bernard. Yeah, because Andy gets worse. We know. <laughs> yes, but uh, you are right, though. I mean, like, and it's not just a foil for the Office. I'm not saying everything of this has to be compared to the Office, but I like this, and I quite honestly found this little world so interesting. I could have tuned back in for more mm-hmm. episodes. For yeah, it, like a TV show. Oh Boy. yeah, yeah. And that's that's a very rewarding thing when you fill it out with more than just two people. So the romance is good. It's a good romance mm-hmm. story on its own. It's a clever idea. It's very charming to fall in love with somebody's words and their mind without ever having seen them. And today, that's really hard because dating profiles you have a picture. specifically yeah. lead off with a picture. Yeah. And I, I've been told, like, if you have no picture, you have almost no chance. You will mm-hmm. be quickly swiped left on or, yep. it, or right, whichever. I don't know. I don't. Up. I don't do that. I don't do the swiping. So yes. I don't. You will be swiped. I don't know which way. Which way? But you will be swiped with no picture. You. Uh, you will not be entertained without a picture. So it's really, really interesting. And, and another interesting way of looking at it. Like I said, it's almost refreshing now. Of like, wow, that's a way that you really couldn't quite conceivably fall in love anymore. And that's a very mm-hmm. romantic sort of way of thinking about it. Just with somebody as a person. So much so. It happens to be somebody at work you're not very fond of. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, it's funny that it's been remade so many times. I think people just want to get more of this. It's a pretty clever yeah. idea. Yeah. And what I was afraid that it was going to turn into was, oh, I don't like you. I'm going to be mean to you. But really, I like you. Mm-hmm. That's a dynamic I didn't like. I didn't even like it in junior high watching. You would see like uh, other guys sitting there. I guess provoking or like mm-hmm. just saying mean things to girls, but then they like them. And yeah. like, it's like trying to like, it's a really weird and dysfunctional way of flirting. And I thought we were headed for a whole lot of that. But to my relief, that's not where this mm-hmm. movie was going. It was actually seeing beneath a series of missed opportunities to see who a person really is. But it also shows you sometimes at work, a couple of bad experiences can disconnect you from connecting to somebody at a deeper level. And that had happened in this case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it does make you wonder, outside of work, are some people who you may have conflicted with at work, are these people who you would you would be friends with or have completely other different relationships with outside of the confines of work? That's another one that'll send your mind drifting. Yeah. And we're so often in public, almost the opposite of who we really are. It's like they're portraying one thing on the outside world, but their inside world in their letters is totally different. Yeah, when they're not selling cigar yeah. boxes yeah. Of, with a play music of Okeechoke on them, like, uh, which is a weird idea, I have to say. Like, um, but I, I, I don't smoke, but mm-hmm. maybe I, I like music, but I wouldn't want to hear the same music box no. song all the time. But um, they're connecting at a really, really deep level, so much so they have to backtrack negative associations. Very clever. You said it's been remade. I have not actually seen You've Got Mail from 1998 with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie apparently is the framework yes. for, the, for that bookstore mm-hmm. um, named The Shop Around the Corner. Yep. It's very much in tune with this. Which of these is better in your mind, Meredith, without spoiling that one too much? I think the original is better, mainly because the characters in the newer version, the You Got Mail, I found to be very self-centered, kind of like vaudish a little bit. They kind of made them, in my opinion, um, meaner of heart than they should have been. And it was also a much bigger worldly type of story. Like you had using email instead of letters and they tried, you know, it, 
there was an attempt, I think, to make it kind of edgy that hasn't quite held up as well as the original. Nothing is less yeah. romantic than an email, by the way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it's gone through a number of Broadway versions mm-hmm. as well. Um, and I think there's a version with um, Judy Garland. Yeah. I'm not totally sure if it was stage also, but there is a stage version. Yes. It's called Good Old Summertime or Good Old Summertime mm-hmm. from 1949. It's a musical adaptation. I was unaware that they knew each other or worked together in You Got Mail. I, I presumed they were strangers. It was a little bit of a change in that he, the, the guy, Tom Hanks, worked for one of these new big bookstore corporations. And Meg Ryan works for a tiny little store. Oh, so they so don't, they're designed they to don't, not like each other. Yes, they don't work directly side by side uh, like Jimmy Stewart and Margaret Sullivan do. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They're sort of, they're from two different worlds. Yeah. yeah. The decision to have them not like each other when they are in each other's presence in the store. Well, I didn't get that right away when she comes in and gets hired, but it just kind of happens off screen. Would you agree that you don't get an, like an immediate serious animosity? What you get is his Krolik saying, I don't think he's going to hire you. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to get in your way. He just says he's very busy. And she's being aggressive in a good way. Like, I, I'll do whatever you need. You just said that you need help. Uh, I've got all these great references. There's nothing that like begins giving us clues that they wouldn't like each other. It's through a short passage of time after, they, after she's been working there for a little bit that uh, we learn that there's this animosity and the onus of it does happen off screen. Then we get this bonus. And this is what I meant from like the original story is that it's such a gift that they don't like each other because because they don't like each other, they won't share the things they care about to one another. Yes. Mm-hmm. Only through chance parts of other conversations does it even bring up that they're, you know, she's got a date at the same time or um, any of the stuff that's really important for us, the audience, to hinge on that comment. They're not paying that close attention to one another because they're, they kind of detest each other. They don't, they don't want to be near each other. anymore. we get a chance to see something that's maybe positive and it, uh, you know, uh, Krolik t- real thinks that it's just a ploy to get out of work early. So like there, there's a whole bunch of, whether it's coincidence or just, we don't have to see a lot of unpleasantness. We are just very easily told, Oh, they don't really like each other. And that way, our eventual surprise, uh, which another good tool, Krolik learns about the identity and you know, Clara does not. And th- that's, I feel like this, these decisions were like, this is the best it could have gone. As I was sitting on my couch watching it, I thought, I don't know if I would have liked that. I think I would have liked them learning at the same time. And then after the resolution of the movie, I said, they got it right. Yeah. I was with you, Dustin, and I was like, well, boy, you're starting to dig your hole pretty deep because yeah. you're, you're, I mean, you he can. Has you has ample you, opportunity to come clean. Yeah. Exactly. Like you could be, you, this could even go start to go your way and it could turn into one of those typical rom-coms where it's just like, what? You knew? And then I'm going to go on a 10 minute like thing where mm-hmm. I got to go away and I'm mad. None of this is ever going to work because you lied to me and we'll do a music sequence and then we'll come back together. I was kind and, of expecting something like that where it would be, uh, the response would be outrage. And deception, as opposed to how it happened. And you, this might be the slowest of slow burns, uh, at least uh, for an 82-year-old movie. <laughs> it's crazy. 
how you are towing the line of keeping the secret too long. But eventually we get there and it's wonderful. I have to say that it didn't do what I just described. I don't know what point in history that becomes what you do in a movie. I I don't know. I'm going to just guess it's somewhere in the late 90s, early Mm -hmm. O's. Like this is this is a thing like this is what this is. This is how this movie should go. Um, I'm glad it's not that which is why I said it's refreshing. It actually feels intelligent. The conflict they have is real what they have to overcome, their perceptions of this person. Like when she says, you are not a real man. Like you do not read fine literature. In reality, he does. He just so becomes so despicable to her. Mm-hmm. She couldn't imagine him having any redeeming qualities right. because they villainized each other. And so that's a very real thing to go through as opposed to so often a movie will have these easily avoidable miscommunications that a simple i'm sorry would go a long way and it usually takes some big gesture like where Mm -hmm. it involves some kind of big notion and then it leads to some big romantic scene and then it's all better again which is i think cheapens you know the female character for falling for just a big gesture but also cheapens things for like it just there's something very inauthentic about it i I don't want to knock people who enjoy this kind of thing it doesn't resonate. This resonates because this this oh, could be does. very real. And their relationship, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Shrek and Fiona. Oh, we just <laughs> yeah, covered that. Yeah, yeah uh, that's not very far back yeah, for us. So, so. you know, externally have a very rough time, but it turns out not to be that way in reality. Yeah. And I guess you said I wanted mm-hmm. more episodes of this. Yeah. Maybe at nighttime they turn into ogres. Yeah, maybe. So this, that would be great. Um, the swamp around the corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that would be great. Madishek sounds like it could be a magical mm, Shrek-like cre- creature, to be honest Mad-a-shrek. with you. Shrek. Yeah. <laughs> Russell, I don't make these jokes unless I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question. Old movies, sometimes, I always feel like they're out of film in the can, and they always have to shut down filming quickly. This movie ends abruptly. Mm-hmm. It feels good. And maybe it's just because Lord of the Rings Return of the King has conditioned me to want more endings. But this movie finishes quickly, mm-hmm. like perhaps too quickly. Like, like I, I felt like it wrapped up very quickly. Or it, they, it does, but I actually like the way it ends. I mean, it's not the quite the classical happily ever after. But we know that those two characters, even if they're just standing there, you know, with their pant legs up, that they're <laughs> solid together. Then that's all we need. Uh, Meredith, I completely yeah. agree. I didn't need the next day. I didn't need mm-hmm. a ring on a finger. I didn't need them showing up to work on Monday morning. Uh, we already knew that they're going to work. And subtly, any of the mystery behind, because obviously Clara does not know. It, it's it's uh, Crawlick that knows. And mm-hmm. so it's the, the mystery there, he, we actually get some of it eroded. Right. We already know the mind and sort of the heart, the poetry is there. He, ten minutes before the end of the movie, he actually starts describing someone who is an opposite physical shape than him. And she's doing a great job of showing like, no, that's not what I want. I don't want a short, stout little businessman. A popkin, I believe, is what they said. <laughs> yeah. Which is the name of my next horse, Matthias Popkin. <laughs> so, like, they, they, they don't... They, they take away some of the guesswork because you might be sitting in the seat saying, what if it doesn't work? Mm-hmm. They comfort you. 
cradle you and say, well, it's, it's gonna. So much so that we're just going to end right after this little embrace. And uh, you, I could use the t- I could use the time jump though. I could use the six more months in the future. And oh, just show show it all going well. That, I, I'm 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 different. I could use I I could use the whole. No, I I like the pant legs. I think the pant legs are okay. The it was cute oh. and like surprising. Then also it's something that you know kids nowadays don't really know what shirt stays are. So it, it, they'd be like, "What is he wearing? That funny footwear." Like you know, there there's certain mm-hmm. things that are just of a bygone era. Yeah, the, the way that it ends, I laughed out loud. I actually cheered in this movie, <laughs> sitting on my couch. <laughs> I, I did it for uh, Pepe, and I did it for the ending. And I, there were so many things that I was like, because I mean, what a joy to have never seen this movie, to get to uh, experience it knowing that you'll want to hang on to a lot of details. And uh, so there, there, were, there were certain things that I thought, I, th- I thought the ending was nailed. I, 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 did, I didn't need any more. If you wanted to give me 15 to 30 seconds mm-hmm. of like, you know, flowers raining down on them walking out of a church, fine. But we didn't even need that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Over, under, how many times do you think they said Mr. Mataschek in the movies? Or more, just more specifically, Mataschek? 80. 80? Okay. Meredith? I think it's more than, I think it's got to be closer to 200. Okay. Well, under Price is Right rules, Dustin didn't go over, but it's 149. Oh, no, it's a ton closer. Price is Right rules work for Price is Right, and they don't work for any other number game in the history of the world. <laughs> so I'm going to give this to Meredith. That's oh, a thank yeah, you. that's a that's a win. For, that's a that's a good thank win too. 149. That's a lot of times. Well, if you think about it, he's the boss. So yeah. you do say your boss's name a lot at work. It's also the name of the company, so you say where you work a lot too. So um, it's not as outrageous as it, as, as it feels. So, um, so Jimmy Stewart, this is earlier in his career. He is billed second mm-hmm. to the, uh, to Margaret Sullivan on this movie. Well, I, you know, I like him a lot. He's not over the top at all. He's very natural and he's just, he's the guy you like compared to everybody else in the movie. I like his and, friend. And he seems, well, yes, I like him, but he seems very upstanding and very loyal and put together and everything so, it's easy to yeah. trust that he's a good guy oh yeah yes yeah. also extremely tall in this cast i don't know i think he's a tall mm-hmm. guy in general mm-hmm. um, i just finished doing a couple burt lancaster movies and he's six two i think jimmy stewart's maybe taller and that's tall i mean that's 80 years ago tall uh, mm-hmm. but he towers over everyone in this movie which is kind of fun and leads to a good shot leader yeah and he he speaks in a way that he seems intelligent. Six three. Yeah. So yeah, for Jimmy Stewart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he seems sincere. He has only good things on his mind for uh, ambitions. Uh, he's trying to plan. He confides in his friend. Uh, he, I, it does not seem like there's a bone in his body that would really try to double cross in a harmful way. It's seeing a good man or a good person with the information to where now they have a secret to reveal. and uh, We do see some things in this movie that, uh, I'm not going to say they confused me, but it maybe went against his character a little bit. He's He antagonizes Vadash before firing. Oh. I would agree with that. That seemed out of character. I figure he uh-huh. would come in very briefly, take no other, like, I, I think I thought he would do it in front of everybody and just say, pack up your bags. You're out of here. Like, right immediately. It well, just that, seemed like his style. That didn't, didn't bother me. What bothered me was the pushing. 
I don't think that goes. Th- that did go far too. Yeah, I, I I'm think not going to give it of... to you in black and white. I'll give it to you in black and blue. Yeah, I don't. I, f- I feel like that's the 1940s. Like this is what a man's got to do. He's got to take charge and push him out yeah. of the store. I, I agree for me, that, that seemed some. out of character for him. I agree, Meredith. It was out of character. But like, I, I think what we're also getting here is that you've only got a certain amount of time to make something work. We even get a little bit of this from Matushik, where uh, he walks up to the window late in the movie. He's like, well, I don't have my glasses. Can you tell me the price? Oh, really? That's a great deal. And he's trying to, even even in his state, trying to make the sale. Making the sale is an important thing in that lifestyle, Mm -hmm. whether you work on commissions or not. And so like, that's something small. But another thing about the reason I got into this at all is there are things you want to do when you're in a retail situation. Sometimes that has to do with the types of customers you don't want to see. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about like the the Lotus Eater from uh, Little Shop. Sometimes it's about like the the things that you only think about or dream about doing to, let's say, a customer or a coworker. I think it's possible that for this movie, there was a what is every what is every store clerk or jewelry salesperson? or customer service agent want to do to their coworker, And it maybe that's why he goes so far as to like physically shove them out is just to embody that, oh, this is what every hourly retail worker would maybe want to do to this kind of coworker. Just a thought. Doesn't seem consistent with the character, but mm-hmm. I just think it has to do with the time of like, he's got to show some like, he's, mm-hmm. he's the boss. He's taking control. There's a, I have, I'll throw him out kind of thing. It just seems like. That's a 1940s idea. I'm not disagreeing idea. with you. It, it is out of character. We agree with that. Yeah. Now, what do you think about Jimmy Stewart and uh, Margaret Sullivan? Because their chemistry is pretty big. Is a pretty big deal mm-hmm. in this movie, Meredith. Yeah, I thought they did a great job. It, you know, I said before, it, they remind me of Shrek and Fiona. They also remind me a little bit of Han and Leia. <laughs> yeah? In that, they're, you know, there's, there's tension, but they're, they're both genuinely good-hearted. Um, and I think that they had an established friendship before that. So, you know, that probably doesn't hurt. Um, they worked, worked together before. Um, yeah, I think they did a a wonderful job and a very realistic job. It was not overdone. It wasn't overly sweetened or anything like that. Yeah. Now I can't get out of my head thinking, Oh, Hey, now who who, who are you calling scruffy? Yeah. That's good. Russell. Um, (laughs) I, I wanted to say that, not not every antagonistic relationship is is really done perfectly. And this one, there's some really biting comments now for the time, but mm-hmm. some that even last, you know, 82 years later, some passive aggressive stuff that is really delightful because I think like, you know, you started the podcast off with like the warm and fuzzy movies. And I'm thinking that even this like passive aggressive attitude, we've got an hour left. Even some of this back and forth between them, you still always feel like this is going to work. And so because you're leaning that direction already, you can put up with some of the vitriol because it's, it's going to have the payoff. And it does. Um, I think with our more modern movies that usually follow the deception reveal with some type of outburst and anger, I think that that has now become sour. And so it's really pleasant. To see when the reveal just comes with a with a nice wrap up with a bow. Mm-hmm. Is Margaret yep. Sullivan too mean? I found myself wondering at times. 
But maybe this is what you're getting at, Dustin. No, is what you're saying. I don't. I don't think she's too mean. I think she has, or the character has, quite a bit of a a guard up in her working life, in her public life, that she does not have when she corresponds in these letters. I think that's part of it. I think she's, you know, shoring it up so she doesn't get hurt too bad. I think I'm very defensive of Jimmy Stewart mm-hmm. because I've come to like him through like yeah. It's a Wonderful Life and through other things. So mm-hmm. I-, I find myself. Just sitting there, going, like, "Hey, don't talk to Jimmy Stewart that way." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in reality, there's a there's sort of a, an aura of politeness about it that, like, well, you know, regardless of what anybody else says, I actually think you're a gentleman. Like, th- there's like the subtle ways to insult. Yeah. The harm isn't that deep, especially since us and the lucky seats in the audience know that that one of the actors involved, one that one of the the, the people in the couple can really handle a lot being thrown his way because he's already, I mean, we have to assume he's already in love. Like he, we're not questioning his side. Once we've got 30 minutes left in the movie, yeah. we know, he wouldn't bother. He wouldn't bother. He wouldn't continue pursuing if he didn't already fall in love. You're right. He didn't want up the paper and be like, yeah, Oh man, <laughs> and then move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And some, sometimes depending on who the actors are, you know, you have Perovich. Sorry, you have Perovich say like, you know, I've always thought she's attractive. Like sometimes mm-hmm. in movies they give you dialogue or they they give you like a side eye as, you know, as the hottie walks by the pool. And you have to be reminded. They don't present her that way. No. You have, no. You have to be reminded like this is an attractive person. Because the same thing is also true. Is sometimes you have an A-list beautiful Hollywood actor who is portraying someone that in the movie is not attractive. So sometimes dialogue and description does that there. And Pirovich does that for her. Like, d- didn't you always say, or, or wouldn't you agree that she has uh, a shape or a figure or a, a pretty face? And very late in the movie, it is Clara who says, you know, you know, very early on, even though we didn't get along, I found myself falling for you. They do a lot of things that they're not subtle. They're just in your face of like, this is going to work. <laughs> we have uh, we, we have the mutual attraction already. So it's it's a safe place to come from. So as you both mentioned, James, Jimmy Stewart and Margaret Sullivan had worked together. Uh, Margaret Sullivan was not always... Uh, she, she in real life has a quick temper and apparently a bit of a disdainful attitude towards Hollywood people. And Jimmy Stewart, uh, you know, was... He, he, he said nice things. He said working with her was one of the great joys of his professional career. He knew her personally and he was, you know, just equipped to deal with I guess, quite honestly, volatile emotional outbursts. He kept is how the peace. Yeah. yeah. He does seem like a very calming dude. Um, maybe it's not off screen, but it, it just his on-screen persona is just something I've come to like him very much with. But uh, how do you like this? They were both in a summer stock company called the University Players. And uh, Stuart was realized as a potential actor. Uh, Sullivan had already made it and mm-hmm. was... And he was following in her footsteps. And Henry Fonda, who we did on 12, who was in 12 Angry Men, which we covered last year, was also there. And one of the players uh, followed footsteps of these two to go to New York and begin his acting career. All three of these guys were in an acting company together. Like Fonda, Stewart, and Sullivan. It's pretty crazy. It's impressive. It it still happens too, is you have fantastic actors who went to high school together and just decided to work on a project together. I think about our, like sort of our improv, uh, whether it's the Groundlings or UCB for a ton of Mm -hmm. wonderful comedians right now. Saturday Uh, Night Live. Saturday Night Live. Yeah. 
And it's always kind of neat to see when SNL brings someone on. I think maybe three uh, players over the last five years, I had recognized their comedy work from before SNL, which is wild because it means that some of these other smaller groups where all these you know, great actors had gotten their start are getting recognition and it kind of broadens your scope as to what you might like. So it, it's cool that there are, aside from officially making it in Hollywood or officially making it on Broadway, that there are other places that success kind of breeds and broods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Second City being mm-hmm. another one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Second City, I um, think, is the Amy Poehler and... Tina Fey, I mean, even farther back, I believe mm-hmm. a lot of the original cast people, I mean, Bill Murray, Aykroyd, and yeah. I mean, was it Lisa, no, Lisa Kudrow was with the Groundlings, maybe. Perhaps. Yeah. I, yeah. It's a deep, it's a deep, it's a deep mm-hmm. pool to get yeah. into. And so, so is the Groundlings. And Conan O'Brien mm-hmm. took an acting class together when they first got to LA. And, oh my goodness. And they, 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 neither of them had any renown and they became friends there at this like cheap acting place. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know how much of it Sullivan got big and then brought her friends along with her in the business and its association by moving up. But I actually also want to ask, how much of it do you think is greatness shapes other great people around you? If you're really good, it, it, it makes other it. people form yeah. together and you all collectively elevate your game together where you're playing the game mm-hmm. at a very high level. I think that works in real life, too. Like if you get somebody who's really good at their job and has been around a lot of people who do it really well and they have lots of good ideas and they're very exciting to be around and as that person might move off into their career and do great things you're like how did this person do it well mm-hmm. it came out of growing around being around good oh people. yeah i so, think that's absolutely true i have to interject this i didn't think i would but the vadash character is someone that you don't like i, but I do like him as an actor though sure like, like he does a great job mm-hmm. of playing this despicable I said character. the vadash character russell you did you did sorry i'm on actors i had a vadash that i worked with i called him a dweeb uh, this guy uh, was, we both had a different set of polish on us. I was kind of a uh, mountain man. He was kind of a New York butler type. We both did the same job and we did it so different ways. And I just didn't like this guy. And now I consider him my closest peer in my field because we started working together and we shaped each other. Mm-hmm. Part of it was that he was actually, uh, I think like six years younger than me too. And I was just like, I just like, He's not even a hot shot. He's a hot dweeb, this little dweeb. <laughs> and, and, and I, people would like joke about him and his, and his ways. And I used to be in on it. And then I was like, this guy really actually is, is admirable in a way. Now, he, in that sense, there's no fadash there at all. But um, it, it's just another way that like the workplace rem- or this movie reminds you of your own workplace experience. Like, I'm not going to say that I redeemed Vadash, but it was us working together that we shaped each other into better work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, one thing that we talked about of should he have thrown him out right away or whatever, Vidash becomes truly dislikable when Jimmy Stewart takes over uh, and becomes yes. manager. It shows it shows a lot more. Yeah, he's not just yeah. an opinionated guy who dresses a certain way, and we feel a little bit sorry for him because he just doesn't fit in necessarily. He's totally brown nosing and just being a total yes man, having no spine, just angling for position right. when he's sucking up to Krolik, uh, like when Krolik becomes the manager and he's just like, I've always thought a lot of you or whatever. And just you, talk- you know, it's baloney. Oh, it's, he lays it on so thick. So if without that, 
you can't as a viewer totally and yes he obviously yeah, slept you, with you, Mrs. Mattishek <laughs> Russell I was waiting for you to get to that point because yeah. it is before that that we learn oh he's the one that's sleeping with the boss's wife and which we I never believe, see her I believe so, stealing from them as well we, yes yeah that's what it either sounded like plot. that or like he was weaseling money out you of don't, her. You don't yeah. see him do that with Mrs. Mattishek. You don't right. see him stealing yeah. money. So this is where you as an audience have to come Draw to, your own conclusions. Just say, you know what? I know all that other stuff you did, but now I see it. You're not a nice guy. And that's even what Peppy says on the phone. Draw yes. your own yes. conclusions. Draw your own conclusions. And he walks coolly away. Capping off the finest five minutes of the movie. Peppy goes on an absolute tear in this movie. And I don't want to take too much time talking about it now because I'm going to talk about it. (laughs) So James Stewart did get flustered working with Margaret Sullivan. One day it said it took him 48 takes to get a scene right. And Stewart said that they were in a little restaurant and uh, they had a line, I will come out to the street and I will roll up my trousers up to my knees. And for some reason, I just couldn't say it. And she would get mad at me and uh, she would be furious and say, this is absolutely ridiculous. And I was standing with my trousers rolled up to my knees and... Apparently, Jimmy Stewart said he was actually very self-conscious about his skinny legs. And I said, I don't want to act today. And I got frustrated. Uh, get a fellow with some decent legs over here and stunt, get some stunt legs in here. And uh, Margaret said, uh, then I absolutely refused to do the picture. So they, they just kept doing more and more takes. <laughs> Margaret Sullivan sounds like she was a colorful personality I to be so. working I think with. She was, I think she was uh, tough in real, in real life. Yeah. So it comes through in the character, yeah. to be sure for sure. So Ernst Lubitsch tells a very heartwarming story here, and he makes all these very wonderful characters come to that. This is based on a Hungarian play called Parfumery by Mikos Laszlo, and he's bringing all these characters to life, and he's doing it. He's being funny. He's doing romance. He's doing tension. Mm-hmm. He's doing so many things at once, and he's adapting somebody else's work. What is the magic that Lubitsch is doing here so well? Well, I think he did a great job of sort of visually paring it down and making it very character focused. You know, most of his other movies, most of them were very big and elaborate and dramatic and they're visually dramatic for drama's sake. And this is not that, you know, everything else in the movie sort of takes a backseat and it lets the characters be the focus and be the star. Um, I think one thing that was very interesting is that there was another screenwriter on this, Samson Ralphson. He did a movie called Suspicion. And I thought it, I thought it was interesting that these characters, even though it's a comedy, there is an element of their internal story that we see pretty well. And I thought it was very interesting that this came from the guy who did Suspicion. Suspicion, which yeah. there's a character who's very much not what he seems. Yeah. And that one, it's interesting. This is not so sinister as that, but I mean... Um, so I think it was interesting that yeah. uh, the director brought on this other guy for this movie. It's an yeah. interesting choice, though, to write to write for characters who are not what they seem. Yeah, I, I think that was a very interesting choice and probably very deliberate. I, I think getting the right notes of balancing the comedy with the warmth and the mm-hmm. feels... Something seems very authentic. Watching Jimmy Stewart have these side conversations with Pirovich, Pirovich. Yes. Watching watching him have conversations with Pirovich's character, <laughs> there's this dynamic of this is a real person. Watching yeah. watching them respond to each and other, and they sort of look up to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's these. There's. It's through these conversations, and like you said, it's smallness. A series of one-on-one mm-hmm. conversations. Usually, they're not yeah. group conversations. And what you can do to develop these characters, 
and moving this all forward. And it's just very, very good using one-on-one sequences. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's yeah. very theater-like, too. Uh, Krolik and Pirovich do seem like buds and uh, of different generations. Uh, Pirovich is a married man with two kids, and that is something that uh, Krolik sort of aspires to. And uh, I, there, there are some... I, th- I think Pirovich originally, when I, when I started watching the movie, I thought, this guy's going to run away with my, uh, with my best supporting actor. And then you see some other performances that kind of level keeps upping. We don't have our best scenes early. Everything, no. everything mm-hmm. that you think is going to be the top of the mountain, we, still, we just get new stuff on top and it's all great. And you don't get tired of it. Uh, you, you, don't get, you don't feel as if you're just it's knockout punch after knockout punch. It does build gracefully. It is. Mm-hmm. It does subscribe to the Dustin formula for success. It's it's short. The movie's <laughs> the movie is not yes. long. <laughs> Dustin likes his ninety minute yeah. efforts. Oh, and Ernst Lubitsch, his family owned a, a shop or a tailor or something, so he had he was personally invested. I think. Oh okay. Okay, yeah, and um, Ernst said that this is the best movie that he had made. He said it's a, he said it's a meaningful tribute to the owner and the employees of the long varnished store in Berlin of uh, the clothing firm of South Lubitsch. Yeah. So um, I guess that was his family. Of S. Lubitsch. Yeah. yeah. So um, he comes from this world and yeah. I, I feel like he as a director brings that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, like you just got done, Dustin, of saying like, hey, have you worked retail? Well, this is what it's like. And you you design people, you don't really know what it's like. Yeah. And you're right. Well, he to, he but you're probably right to did. But he yeah. did. Yeah. So there's an authenticity yeah. that enters into that. So that probably contributes largely to have a voice in it as opposed to coming he's not just some hollywood director coming in and saying like, let me tell you what this let me tell you what these small town people like so can, can i tell you there's something so odd happening during this podcast which is that generally i don't laud capitalism and generally overarchingly i am not a you have to have done it to understand it kind of guy in fact i hate that mindset i only brought it up because there is something really charming about seeing a famous movie actor do a job and it's being focused on like the parts of the job mm-hmm. and on 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 top of it little tactics that are used whether it's behind the scenes like with the buying everybody knows to get out of Matushik's way when he asks i want your honest opinion and pirovich runs away yeah he <laughs> that, goes back up the steps that's or it's <laughs> yeah it's learning because the tendencies it, it of your funnier, boss though. it's it's learning the tendencies I mean, and, and uh, Clara does it too, is, uh, you know, is Matrusic starts asking about something else and she immediately essentially dives into a jewelry cabinet because if you look busy, you're not going to get asked to do anything. Th- this, th- these are just sort of like the rules of, of, of workplaces like that sometimes. And I got to say, it was so refreshing to have something that was fun to watch like this. As opposed to, I know that some servers love this movie. I I can't stand the movie Waiting. Um, I think oh, that Chad Chad will fight you now, but it'll be later. He's not on. You should tell him not to do that for his own sake. But the fact the fact is, like it's he uh, that that movie that movie resonates with servers, and movies about like blue collar workers can you normally don't see this style of work. Um, as a, like the, as a focus, um, a lot of times you do see blue collar work or like hard work, hard labor. It was just something something kind of special. At the film's 1940 premiere, Radio City Hall, Lubitsch remarked, "I have known just such a little shop in Budapest, feeling between the boss 
and those who work for him is pretty much the same in lots of places. It, it is to me, everyone is afraid of losing their job. Everyone knows uh, how little human worries affect their jobs. If the boss has a touch of better be careful not to step on the toes of when things have gone wrong or well with him, the whole staff reflects his good humor. Mm -hmm. And so what you just described, Dustin, and that, that interchange between the boss and the staff there, he understood Can that. Can I just say there's, there's something really uh, wonderful about how we, we learn, and it's late, but we learn that Matushek is generally an affable, great person to work for. Um, and that th what was going on was a personal issue is he's losing yeah. a 22 year marriage and it's very clear. And at first I thought, is there, cause with no expectations going into this movie, I mean, what's going on here? It seemed like they were on, you know, they were on their way towards partnership. Uh, even, yeah. even, um, he's got uh, Pirovich was saying like, do you think he's going to make you partner? Oh, I don't know about that, but it's kind of, kind of heading that way is that there's, so, something has happened and you don't know what it is. And I think because a lot of people have had the hashtag 2011 horrible bosses in their life, that b because of that, they're thinking, oh, no, this guy just must be a bad boss because we've all had a bad bosses. And then what you realize is that, no, his personal life is interfering with his work life. And that happens, too. And it does wrap up happily, like with a great ending, thanks to uh, Pepe coming in right place, right time. I... I saw, and it was through a wonderful bit of acting from our great Wizard of Oz, Frank Morgan. I saw the despair in his eyes. I saw where the lengths yeah. he was willing to go before that happened. I was expecting to see a noose and a hanging. Instead, what we heard was a gunshot. That It was only 10 minutes, maybe even five minutes of just like, oh, we're heading down that road. And, oh no, is this going to be another Christmas movie that actually has quite a bit of bummer in it before we get to the warm and fuzzies? And no, he's saved. And it's only, it's, this is all within like a period of 24 hours. Once, mm -hmm. once Clara has been working there for a while, this is all in a short amount of time. Uh, once again, another great thing for theater. So this is where like, we could see more tragedy for it not to be that, for us to see a, a, a good response from our boss character and it's loving and the bonus checks are real <laughs> and it's not a subscription to a, a Turkey of the Month Club or whatever. <laughs> Christmas vacation was. Jam. Uh, jam. Jam. Yeah. jam. Thank you. It's a gift yeah. that keeps on giving, Clark. Uh, yeah. And they even referenced the bonuses earlier uh, with a great joke. <laughs> Chronic said, Chronic, I just said. Krolik. <laughs> Krolik says to Pirovich, you ever got a bonus before? And he looks like into the distance. Yes. Once. <laughs> yeah. Like it was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> I've worked so hard. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. I know you're talking you about. Until you open it, you're a millionaire. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> absolutely wonderful so, um, that is very some funny some of that stuff feels really funny. very yeah. real uh, all the scenes were shot in sequence and they did it in 21 days that's short. amazing that's, a, that's very short it's very short so Ernst Lubitsch runs a tight ship just in terms of how he's running it so and I would think it would be helpful especially for a movie like this to shoot it in order I feel like yeah. as we've studied yeah. older movies, yeah. you see it a little bit more. John yeah. Houston was big on doing that, I think, mm -hmm. in Maltese Falcon. Yeah. And I think you're right. Uh, the emotional ride. Of, yeah. And granted, it takes 21 days to go through two hours of emotion. Mm -hmm. But still, yeah, the evolution that the characters yeah. go through I'm with you. I think that's that seems like it would be a benefit. Easy to do when you're not changing locations mm -hmm. yeah. also. 
Mr. Matashik's office and calendar on the wall suggest that it's 1939, as I mentioned. So the play was written in 37 from Parfumi, and it was written in a more tranquil period. This movie could happen in a vacuum. I will admit, because the actors yeah. aren't very Hungarian in terms well, of their it, appearance. You know, it could be Chicago. It could be... I was going to say I felt like I was in New York, New York or Chicago yeah. or yeah. Philadelphia. But I did want to say this, and, and the decision was to keep it in Budapest and to keep everyone with these names that are regionally specific and to use a i tell me it might sound insensitive but it, it almost sounds like a uh, like a fictional currency pango pango, pango. yeah uh, mm-hmm. and, and so we have certain things cost 2.95 but it's not $2.95 it's 2 pango 95 cents so there there's Something also kind of fun about that, which is that because you're dealing with a currency that you're unfamiliar with, you don't have to think about like inflation or think about how cheap things are. The particulars, are. yeah. You can just, yeah. oh, thank you. It's The particulars could get in your way. Instead, it's, oh, this just kind of makes sense. And, and there's some other stuff too that is actually kind of surprising. Immediately upon being fired, he is handed, here's your month's salary in Pangos. And here is a letter of recommendation I've already written for you. Please sign this receipt that you've received your severance. Thank you very much. All very much like that's a, of a bygone era. So like there's, there, it, it's, it's cool to think of this um, situation of the time period and, and deciding to keep it in Budapest uh, when really this story could be, a, uh, could be appropriate anywhere in the world. That's what I was yeah. going to ask, Meredith. Yeah. Why do you think they like? Why not? Why not put it in America? Is at this point in time, well, we have very American actors who want American things, and they don't really want to go over there, and they don't make it a travel. Like you don't see, mm-hmm. like when we did Roman Holiday, um, William Wyler went over and shot Rome very beautifully mm-hmm. and like on location. This is in Culver City. Well, I think it. You know, it's a very grounded movie, but that might have been an opportunity to put a little bit of fantasy on it for the American audience. Oh, that's a good point. You know, they're they're not hung up on it being say Chicago, Chicago versus New York. They're just, it's this city, it's this store, it's these people. And it's a wonderful love story for just yeah. these people. Uh, because going yeah. to a, it could be in France, you know, meeting at the cafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, but uh, the snow seemed very real, right? Uh, the, well, it's a place. Oh yeah. The snow was beautiful. Yeah, so it's like, Oh, well it needs to be a place where it snows. Um, I love what they did with, um, with the grand Budapest hotel. Mm-hmm. Where things are more fictionalized, uh, and the places that they go are fictionalized, that can yeah. that can work too. But this this just seemed right. It releases you from your personal hangups. Yeah. I think it is very universal. I just found mm-hmm. myself yeah. wondering if, it, because of its universality, why not just import it mm-hmm. to where these people look like they belong? Because Jimmy Stewart doesn't look like he's Hungarian. It'd be easier for us right. to talk about it if their names were Smith and Jones and Brown instead of Novak and Kralik and Matushek and Varash. And Pepe. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm, I am struggling it, with these it names. It makes it memorable, though. I mean, you know. Yeah. What, what's that movie with Matushek? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, it's funny. It does go to show you, like, th- this wouldn't be done today. In fact, it's very mm-hmm. frowned on today mm-hmm. to take American actors and to, mm-hmm. why not you go get Hungarian yeah you know, dissent people. So, but this is just a time period where that was done. They didn't change it. I guess it's just out of reverence to the source material. I'm happy that they kept uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. Music. 
the opening music, Leo Roars, there's a few first bars of a famous old Russian song, Dark Eyes, which has become synonymous with the Hungarian gypsy culture over the years. It would be a focal point uh, to tune music boxes and sold in the shop of the film. So mm-hmm. other than that, I didn't necessarily get bowled over by the music, did you? Not really. I think it added a little bit of like magical sprinkle to some things. There seemed to be, like you were saying, a little bit of gypsy influence on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't think that it really was overpowering to the movie at all. Like the third man, mm-hmm. which was shot on location, so mm-hmm. going back to immersing yeah. yourself, the music there felt like it was transporting it. Yeah. I did not feel transported. No, it, it blends in, but it, it doesn't take away from anything. Yeah, Dustin, how about you? What's the music do for I you? I kind of wish, I, I want to see the musical version of this now. Because I'd like to see how music could could fold into this and elevate it. I, I'm like, you You said you weren't bowled over by it. I didn't even notice it. Uh, I, I think I was more focused on these uh, the small interactions between these people and them being so lovely. Uh, aside from that folk song that opens when the music boxes uh, open, especially when they all crash open after he pushes Vadash, they're all <laughs> scrambling to close it. I, I, I didn't feel like this movie needed it. And that's a weird thing for me to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to also say one step further that uh, I, it breaks my rule. I normally think when you have a Christmas movie, the music's going to play a part of your feel goodness. Just mm-hmm. like in the, when, you, when you do a horror movie, music's really important to set yeah. the mood. I, I usually consider if you're going to do this, you need some kind of music in there to warm, to, to warm the situation. Last year we'd cover them up at Christmas Carol, and it just sends all those tingles mm-hmm. up with all the with all the warm. The music can carry you so far, but it's amazing what this movie does without that. Yeah, the actors do it. Yeah, and I would say if someone were to say, "Do you want to watch a Jimmy Stewart Christmas movie?" I think I might suggest this one first. Well, if you just yeah. like to be clever and surprise people and not disappoint people, because well, you're not going to disappoint it is, them. It is more modern, I think, than The Wonderful Life. Gosh, they're just both so yeah. good. I yeah. mean, you're splitting. I think I think they're so, neither of them are wildly long. So it's yeah. just <laughs> just watch both. a double dose of Jimmy Stewart in holidays time. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm okay with both. Stuff those stockings with Jimmy Stewart. All right. How about we get out some superlatives? You guys ready? Oh, yes. Yeah. MVP, Meredith. Margaret Sullivan. Margaret Sullivan. Okay. Yeah, she's so unique. I don't. I haven't seen her in anything other than this, but um, I've never seen anyone like her. So she has presence. Yeah. Yes, she really does. <laughs> she and, and it's um, the season personally. For yes, she, she's first build and she holds her own, like in all the mm-hmm. dial. Oh yeah. So 1940s movie. That's hard to do for a woman in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and she did it. Yeah, and she held it too. We're back. All right, Dustin MVP. Frank Morgan as. Hugo Matashik. I, I found this surprising as my choice, but I feel like it is his issues outside the store and inside the store that drive us towards the the smaller conflicts and and some of the things like it, it is through his character that we get to uh, the promotions and we we get to Vadash being a bad guy. We get a lot of that, and it's not you know the, the main story. I think is the love story, and that's great. But his acting performance when he's, you know, I, th- I think when you see him as the Wizard of Oz first, you expect a certain kind of performance. But he showed a lot of range here. Uh, and I thought that was really refreshing and, and cool to see him in that role. And it's always nice when the boss ends up being a good guy. I think you should have just said, why? Because, 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 because. That's pretty good. The MVP for me is going to be Jimmy Stewart. I, I think yeah. I think. There's some degree of linking his performance here to other great performances that I cannot separate. In yeah, the same he's, way that 
probably MVP of a lot of things. Big, so there's, it's to me, it's just like and more snow accumulating on the already like mm-hmm. you know piled up blizzard of awesome performances that are Jimmy Stewart. So at Christmas time, so I'm gonna go Jimmy Stewart. He is the great quote unquote every man. He is. So best supporting actor Meredith Felix Versar. And he it, is Pirovich. Pirovich. He's yeah. good. I thought I thought he was delightful. He had such a a sense of humor when he was uh, speaking to Krolik. You know, like when they were talking about how, you know, how to pay for things. And, and Pirovich said, get a, get a big kitchen. Get a nice big kitchen. <laughs> where, 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 where do you entertain? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, who are you entertaining? You never have, are you an ambassador? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't want to guess anyway. Yeah. I just, I loved his, his approach to those conversations. Yeah, he was great. Dustin, best supporting actor. It, it makes you wish that you have like a, an uncle Pirovich because mm-hmm. you want to be around that. So check it out. I put him down as my best supporting early. And then another performance bumped him into. I'm literally keeping Pirovich as my hidden gem, specifically for how he runs away from the boss whenever <laughs> he starts asking for an honest opinion. But um, honestly, like he, <laughs> my best supporting, he, he, he was beaten out by William Tracy as Pepe. Yeah. He's good. Uh, he, he has just an absolutely fantastic two minute sequence when jimmy stewart's character gets the like oh you're going to be the new manager he opens the door peppy's first thing he says is congratulations why because off screen you know that this little scamp was listening through the door yep probably shouldn't have been on top of that his character change into peppy the clerk absolutely unbelievable and his treatment of rudy the new delivery boy his new outfit And he takes the call from Mrs. Maticic. It is, that's where I cheered. I, I could not believe it. So he got, man, I, I'm surprised I didn't give him my MVP. William, Tr- he was William awesome. Tracy, right? Mm-hmm. William Tracy. Yeah, he's good. And uh, he's playing age down too. Like he's obviously older than he the is. age he's yeah. playing, but uh, because he's short and Jimmy Stewart's tall. They're, I particularly they're liked his feminine voice on the telephone. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was, yeah. Yeah. That was right. very funny. This is Flora or whoever he yeah. says. Hey, you want you want to be a clerk? <laughs> I wouldn't put it that brutal. <laughs> hey, remember that time I saved your life? Yep. You know, only <laughs> right. saved your life. But <laughs> yeah. it was only the one time that I saved your life. So, <laughs> um, uh, my best supporting actor is going to be Joseph Schittelkraut. Uh He plays Ference Valdis Vadis. Ference Vadis. So he is. Uh, he's just so slimy. Mm-hmm. He's so he's such a good villain. Like I think he. would I, I could easily see wanting to cast him for other kinds of villains based on this. He's so good at playing the uh, dapper, yep. spiffed up, you know, thinks he's better than everybody and craves the materialistic side of him. So, and that drives him. So, good villain. Best hidden gem. I think it's the obvious character flaws of everybody. You know, most people in this movie, they're good people, but nobody's perfect. And everybody makes like a, a slip up at some point. And I thought that made the movie you know, more realistic than you would expect Yeah, this kind of movie. Dustin, hidden gem. Pirovich got enough love that I'm actually going to go with my alternate hidden gem, which is the waiter in the cafe <laughs> when she's when she's still waiting for her guy with the, uh, oh, help me with the flower here. Carnation. What Carnations, was yes. Yeah. Thank you, the red carnation. And he mentions something uh, <laughs> that like, 
hey, if we if we close the cafe and he's not here, I'll I'll wear a red carnation for you. And I think he's describing a similar situation that happened three weeks ago with, uh, was it Begonias? Gardenias. Gardenias. Thank you. And the reason I remembered gardenias was because uh, that is the flower that the guy wants to eat in the original Little Shop of Horrors. Oh. He, uh, his, his wife is making gardenias. Yes. Him up. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I thought that that was a, a lovely little hidden spot. My hidden gem, and I almost always pick a person, but because of the tight, small cast, nobody's really that hidden in this cast. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a couple of really insulated characters coming in. But cigar bosses. They, they, they just kind of become mm-hmm. this thing that, like... They're their own character. Yeah, it becomes a point of contention yeah. between them. Like, the, the like I mean, <laughs> all of them falling on the floor and playing is so fitting mm-hmm. for where this thing builds up to. Of like I like this thing if the boss says, I think I'm going to get a bunch of these. And mm-hmm. Jimmy Storch's like, I think it's a dumb idea. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the boss yeah. is like, I think this is really great, right, everybody? And everyone's like, yeah, it's really great. And I just, I really thought there was humor in Jimmy Stewart sticking to his guns. I'm like, it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so... Well, and leave it to Clara to come up with a way to lie. Yeah, and the candy box. Say, mm-hmm, this is actually, you know how it is with chocolate. We might want a little bit too much. This is actually going to dissuade you from eating more. I'll take it. So, recast. If you had to recast somebody and put somebody else in their place, who would it be? Meredith. You know, I think everybody's truly perfect in this. So, I would not recast anybody. What I might do is find somebody to show you know, the back of the head or the profile or the shoulder or something of uh, Mrs. Uh-huh. Modicek. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Like maybe she gets into a cab or something and we just see her for a little bit. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, Dustin, recast. I don't love this. I'm going to go with Groucho Marx as Pirovich. He's always funny. Yeah. Why not? He's got the mustache to do it, sure. They look exactly alike. <laughs> it made me think. Did they like now the, in a Marx Brothers movie where they're working in a shop? <laughs> yeah. This is this, this is another movie, but now I can't not recast somebody as Harpo in this in this store. So thank you, Dustin. Right. I mean, yeah, so that that's it. You know what? I, I, that's my that's mine too. I'm gonna I'm Harpo is now being recast in, into this with you, Dustin. I like that better. I'm mean, I really struggled with this. I initially wrote down like could Ingrid Bergman do what Margaret Sullivan was doing I, in here. I think she's too nice. Too nice? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I had a hard time with this. Yeah. So, Harpo Marx it mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Wonderful. I could see him uh, making uh, Vadis very frustrated mm-hmm. by, like, honking his horn yeah. around him, like, and, and frustrating him and messing his hair up, like, taking a comb out of his giant trench coat and, like, combing his hair mm-hmm. the wrong way and saying, stop that. Best shot of the movie, Meredith. Um, so, I'm actually not going to pick the obvious one, but... There is a shot when uh, Pirovich opens the door to the office with Kralik in there, and he swings it open. He's sort of le- on an extreme angle. He's leaning, and he says, you're getting the wallet, or you're something wallet. like that. And that, that shot just looks so much like, you know, a comic strip or, you know, the way they set up sitcom, sitcoms today. Yeah. Um, he reminded me of Kramer. And, that's, <laughs> yes. and it was so quick, but it, it just was great. That was good. Yeah. Dustin, the shot. His setup for that was perfect, too. Pirovich needs a lot of credit. <clears throat> Mine is actually, and I actually have it written down here. I changed my mind as the movie kept going because they kept giving me great shots and great scenes. It is when Jimmy Stewart is kind of peeking in the window when Clara is anxious about waiting in the cafe. Mm-hmm. 
It's only because of his height that you can get it. But what it's in this moment that I'm thinking, and I'm, the audience must be thinking when this is shown 82 years ago, go in there, stupid. Go, go in and talk to her. And it takes a little bit. And it's because of that tension, a, a wonderful tease. And then he goes in and that doesn't work out as well as you would hope that it does, at least upon first watching. And then you realize it works out exactly how, how it's supposed to. So it was great. Is my best shot the, the obvious one where Margaret Sullivan is looking into the mail slot? I, like, yeah, the close-up. Oh, close actually, no, but you can pick that. That is um, my, that is, that's okay. my pick. What, what would be more obvious? The, yeah, what's the obvious um, one? Jimmy Stewart's legs. Oh, at well. At the end of the movie. That, that, yeah. okay, yes, yes. Yeah. Or are they stunt legs? We won't, and we don't know. We do not know. Uh, I, they must be, otherwise Margaret Sullivan would have walked right off the stage. Although that was funny. Jimmy Stewart's actually conscious about his mm-hmm. shot, shot, making fun of my shreds. <laughs> best scene, Meredith. Um, so I'll, I will actually pick that for the best scene, the ending, where everything gets wrapped up and he, he pulls up the trousers and that's it. He's not bow-legged. It's a good one. Thank goodness. Yeah. Uh, Dustin. My best scene is when Hugo is telling everyone about the like what he asks from them. He hires six of these of these people to work in his store, even though the store next door is double the size and has only four employees. And he's trying to get people to understand like his role as the owner and manager. He kept. He gets interrupted by a shopper, and then he gets interrupted by a phone call, and it's a bad phone call. It's. I think it's the, the private investigator like telling him something, or no, no, sorry, it's his wife asking for more money. So he shows. It's. It's all in one shot too, but it. It shows that like he has to carry a lot of different burdens at once. He's also not recognizing that he's been in a sour mood. He's just. He's. He's trying to get emotion out, and he's restricted by the subordinate manager like role uh and i felt that baggage that he's carrying and i thought i didn't expect to see this range and so i thought that was really cool mine's gonna be a feel good moment matashek coming to his shop and seeing that his protege crawlick's doing so well the shop's doing well and it's not his eye watchful eye that's doing it's a moment of great joy for his employees but also pride that you know, he's kind of moving into that grandfatherly role of, if I'm, you know, yeah. this is my shop and I'm so proud of you guys for doing this. And you seem to be doing even better than it was even when I was here <laughs> in some ways. And yeah. what, what pride that must give somebody to see the people you trained and fostered and selected are taking what you had to the next level. So that's just kind of a, one of the most feel-good moments. That's not even necessarily the romance part of it, but Matashek's happiness. I guess it's the Christmas spirits in full effect there. And sure enough, he has to take the new... The new uh, page, Henry, oh, yeah. out, out to like a big, a, a giant dinner. He gave him too much cash, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Best wardrobe or makeup moment. I, I have a feeling this could be some uh, legwear here. Actually, no. Uh, my favorite wardrobe moment was Peppy's suit when we see him for the first time mm-hmm. post the gunshot into the lamp. And he's wearing this suit. And you think, what is the, what is the suit he's wearing? It's very formal. Yeah, very formal. <laughs> He does undergo big change. That's a great choice. Is this yours, Dustin? Because you like Peppy. No, it's it's Vidash's paper hat. Uh, I thought it was kind of an interesting, fun thing to see him come in with almost like that barbershop style suit mm-hmm. uh, that he was wearing. You don't know he's unlikable yet, 
but you do know that he's got this particular potentially grotesque panache. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really helpful for us as an audience, uh, including with all of his jackets, he still wears sort of a tuxedo style pointed collar mm-hmm. with either a regular tie or a bow tie. Like th- those are decisions. It's like, uh, I remember when I first started my own, buying my own dress shirts, I used to buy French cuff only to show off my cheap cufflinks. And I'm like, th- there was no reason I needed to do that. It was just a decision that I made and I eventually quit doing it. But like this guy makes the decision to dress this way and it shows us like, oh, he's this kind of guy. So it, it worked. Unless your yeah. cufflinks are explosive cufflinks like James Bond happens, in which case that's awesome. Just to leave a room, drop them on the floor, smoke. Yeah, mine are magnets so that I can jump in if I lose a uh, lose grip of like a, a bar that I'm holding onto. Then my cufflinks will catch. Up. Absolutely, um, but they are in the shape of cartoon magnets. I do look like Wiley e. Coyote when I'm doing. <laughs> I'm also going to go with William Tracy, is but not just his suit. It's the, it's the juxtaposition, mm-hmm. how they younged him down, which yeah. is actually a tough job because he's visibly not like seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. And so S- sideways cabbie hat works. Exactly. That's the cabbie hat. It's the it's the way they, they fit is closed tightly and stuff like that. And like but then like baggy in other mm-hmm. places to, to young him up. And it's a tall order for a wardrobe person to do it. And I normally would be very disapproving of this. I complain about getting twenty eight year olds to play teenagers constantly, but William Tracy's <laughs> pretty good. William Tracy's pretty good, so I can't complain. Um, change one thing, Meredith. The pushing scene. I just don't think that's necessary. Man, I think that's even better than I wrote. This is, you're right. We talked about that. Dustin, how about you? What's your change one thing? Same thing. I think you touched on something that I wrote down. I want to see Mrs. Mattishek. Mm -hmm. I would like to either have Jimmy Stewart meet her as he delivers something to her one time. Maybe she's Mm -hmm. a little bit younger than him or something like that to the point where, you know, yeah, okay, we know where this is going, but still you really hurt him. And like, you know, he really did like you. And, you know, I... I think you will only feel for Mattishek more. Yeah. If you if you if see you, her. If you see her, yeah. A, a visual can help you if, if you're meant to dislike someone. A visual can help you like, but it can also help you dislike like Cruella DeVille, evil Ministry of Magic woman from the Harry Potter. Like the a look can help you make that decision. And I think that could easily be done to be like and this you know, in, in the end it's just a, a character that makes our boss said. Yeah, and you yeah. don't have to she put you don't have to put like Ava Gardner, Rita Hayworth, or Marilyn no, Monroe in there. No, it's just a moment. Yeah, yes. just just yes. a woman who's younger who mm-hmm. might be moderately attractive to the point where like he's older and just that's it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go overboard. So best quote. That's a tough one. Oh, so this this is a Margaret Sullivan quote. Um, Psychologically, I'm all mixed up, but personally, I don't feel bad at all. Right at the end of the movie, when everything is mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. Dustin, how are you? Best quote. Although I am the victim of your remark, I can't help admiring the exquisite way of expressing yourself. You certainly know how to put a man in his place. That's a good line. Yeah. That's a good line. I like when, uh, when after Ms. Novick sells one of the musical cigarette boxes, uh, well, what do you say now? Uh, and then uh, Alfred Kralix just gets, uh, he's like, I think people who like to smoke candy and listen to cigarettes will love it. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could show you my screen. That was written down as well. It was it was an alternate. For me. And this is a no name customer, but I love it when the woman says, "How much is that belt in the window? The one that says two ninety five? And Crowley's like, uh, two ninety five. Oh no, <laughs> just yeah. a, just a very dismissive like. <laughs> well, you know the the crazy thing is, on that day, 
that belt should be 74 cents less <laughs> because it's 25% off everything in the store. That interchange made I laughed I laughed out loud on that one, and, and her it was well her, done. I thought she I thought was so was indignant about it. oh no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I did love it when Peppy. I'm surprised nobody said this, but uh, it was like, pardon me, Mister. Uh, uh, precisely, what position do you hold at Mattachek Company? Oh yes, and he's like, well, I could drive. I could describe myself as a as a contact man. I keep contact between Mattachek Company and the customers on a bicycle. You mean an errand boy? Doctor, I did not call you. I didn't a pill call peddler. you a pill pusher. <laughs> yeah, that that was almost my top one too. There's so many good ones. There are really a lot of great ones. Now, Meredith, we've come full circle here. Mm-hmm. On a scale of uh, five stars here, half star intervals. What would you give? Shop five. around the corner. Five. Five, definitely five. All five. And Dustin, how about you? What are you gonna do? Meredith, last time you were here, you brought Enter the Dragon, and I was you know, uh, pretty harsh you know. on it. Uh, and uh, so brand for you and your love of martial arts movies. We shouldn't really linger on it <laughs> because now we're talking about The Shop Around the Corner, which is an automatic five-star movie and a must-rewatch every year. Um, if I were the kind of guy to purchase movies, I would. Uh, and there's almost no flaw I can find in it. Uh, I might even go so far early to say this may be the best movie that I saw this year on our show. Oh, wow. And we covered The Matrix, which is yeah, the Matrix probably among my favorite I, I, movies. Yeah. I can attest that Dustin loves The Matrix yeah. and has for a long you time. Can, <laughs> you can. Mm-hmm. This was uh, occasionally, last year it was Laura, occasionally an old movie will just capture me. Mm-hmm. And even if I had never worked in a retail store, this movie would have captured yep. me. It just is so special. I brought it up earlier. It seemed like a story that was new and novel, even though it's older than anything else we've covered. Uh, it was so easy for mm-hmm. me to give it five yep. stars. I didn't have to think about it. Thank you. Oh, Eric. that's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I actually wrote down when I began this at 4.5, but sometimes throughout the discussion, I will usually, I have like the bandwidth of another star of up or down. And the more I talk about it, the more I realize it. And the more I talked about how authentic this is, and it does a workplace comedy while doing a very good romance story and while doing something that is borderline difficult to do at all. At this point in time, falling in love with somebody's words Mm -hmm. and their mind and actually doing it and creating a way that you can legitimately do it and doing it on an authentic way. I'm also joining you guys. I I wrote down 4.5, but I've been talked into it. Maybe it's the Christmas spirit. Maybe it's the yep, maybe, do it's, it. maybe it's the near death experience. Uh, maybe it's uh, maybe it's mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy Stewart at Christmas time. But I, I'm going to join you guys in the five point. Sorry, the five star parade. Mm-hmm. Fifteen stars for everybody. Yep, that's a lot of stars. Wonderful choice. Yeah, Meredith, yep. you are not only a great guest, but you're also one of the uh, creators. Or sorry, you helped give the show that logo yes, that people are looking true. at on their phone. Where can they find more from your store as well as other interesting and far more artistic versions of your work? Yes. So you can find some retro movie roundtable merchandise, um, sweatshirts, T-shirts, travel mugs on society6.com slash Meredith Gray Robson. Uh, there are a lot of other designs on there as well. And also I have a lot of new work on MeredithGrayRobson.com. So go there to check that out. And Dustin, do you want to help me pick a, a movie for next time? Yes, sir. Let's keep the Christmas spirit rolling a little bit longer. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Season's greetings. Let's go. Yeah. 
Roll out the Yule Logs. Here we, let's do it. Option number one, the Grinch from 2000. On the outskirts of Whoville lives a green revenge-seeking Grinch who plans to ruin Christmas for all the citizens of the town. Option two, a Christmas story from 1983. In the 1940s, a boy named Ralphie Parker attempts to convince his parents, teacher and Santa Claus, that a Red Ryder range 200-shot BB gun is really the perfect gift for Christmas. And option three, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York from 1992. One year, after Kevin McAllister was left at home, he had to defeat a pair of bumbling burglars. He accidentally finds himself stranded in New York City and has the same criminals not far behind him. So, Dustin, what'll it be? Oh, this this definitely has to be Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Uh, a favorite of mine. I like it better than the first. I don't know if that's a spicy take, but I like it better than the first. All right. Get those Utah logs. They're going to do Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. 1992. All right. Miranda, thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate you joining us. Yes, it was great to be here, especially for this Christmas episode. Thank you, all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, and review to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro. Follow us on Instagram. We're on email at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com and producing and providing this podcast. It's fun, but not free. So we invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www.patreon forward slash retromovieroundtable. Any contributions are much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Dustin? The precogs are never wrong, but occasionally they do disagree.